in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! May the 2020 AFL Finals begin! We made it. 152 home and mostly away matches have been played. Port Adelaide have been crowned the minor premiers. And we have eight worthy finals teams ready to battle it out for one of the most highly anticipated, historically significant grand finals in our living memories. I'm Michael Serpel, and it's an absolute pleasure to introduce you to the men who will be here setting the scene for a monumental final series. Introducing the umpire, who will be guarding the MCG rigorously on grand final day to ensure one M loaf (laughs) won't be sneaking into upstage Mike Brady's performance in front of a full crowd of over 80,000 seagulls. <laughs> it's Ryan. I do anything for a grand final ticket. Frizy Hartwick. Frizy, welcome to you, mate. Oh, Serbs, they keep getting better and better. Thank you tremendously for that. In honesty, I don't know if meatloaf's ever allowed back on that particular day or at the venue in general ever again. But uh, look, as you said, this year, he won't be the only one missing out. Boys, it is the time where only the best teams survive. And by the same token, only the best umpires survive and make the cut as well. It's just the ruthless pressure that is finals. You boys will be pleased to know Razor Ray has made the cut. You need to calm down. And you can see him in action on Thursday night at the Adelaide Oval, gents. It's okay. We cannot wait for a bit of Razor Ray action. He's going to be as sharp as per usual, especially during the final series. He bounces the big ball. You can hear in the microphone him going, oh, oh yeah, oh, I'm on tonight, boys. <laughs> You sure can, and look, often uh, saves his best for the biggest stage. Does he ever grand final prize, of course, to raise a last year? Can he go back-to-back? Well, we will see about that, boys. And let's bring in the other man who's anxiously waiting in the wings. It is the man who knows how many clubs Heath Shaw will represent before retiring at the ripe age of 56. (laughs) How many footy fans have been crying themselves to sleep replaying when their clubs were last in the finals or for Gold Coast fans when their ex-players last played in a final series for human meatball he's done it literally <laughs> and how many mosquitoes have returned since the weather has warmed up it is Maxi putting a mosquito net around Tullamarine Tonner Maxi welcome to you thanks sir I haven't had a run in with any mosquitoes yet so <laughs> look the reality is for me I do have very appetizing rare Maltese Maltese, Maltese Maxi Maltese they love the Maltese blood <laughs> don't they hemoglobin heavy well oxygenated blood Maxi <laughs> I'm always very very popular with the mozzies during this time of the year but gentlemen What I found very, very interesting is I discovered an anti-mosquito ultrasonic sound effect on YouTube. Now, gents, have you ever heard of this? No. No, I haven't, but have a crack is all I'll say. (laughs) Got to have a crack at this because these are ultrasonic sounds, which are at a very, very high frequency, which can't be heard by most people, but for mosquitoes and other insects and pests, it is an absolute living hell on earth (laughs) and let me tell you i was playing it the other night and i did not get another bite so i think i have found the solution for all those people out there who are struggling with mosquitoes all those people who have maltese blood out there i have found an answer kill them with deafening kindness (laughs) 
I haven't heard of that one, mate. I'll be YouTubing it later in the summer, I reckon. But um, just back on Heath Shaw, did you say he got delisted today? I reckon that's pretty stiff. Considering that he wants to keep going, maybe that's why they decide to delist him. He's been a pretty good servant of the Giants, but... Yeah, I think it's a little bit messy. A bit of a surprise. Yeah, incredible, guys. I, th- I thought he had a little bit left in the tank to go around. But as you say, Maxi, I think they might have wanted to take the decision out of his hand. Do you reckon any teams would be keen on him? Would he go back to Collingwood? I don't think Collingwood would take him back. He probably hasn't got the best relationship with Nathan Buckley either, considering he wanted to get rid of him. I don't know, would North Melbourne take him, considering his brother's the coach and they probably need a little bit of leadership out on the ground? It's interesting you point out the leadership aspect. I could certainly see a side that's crying out for leadership. And North Melbourne's a good example, perhaps introducing sort of a Luke Hodge, Jordan Lewis style process here, perhaps. It's a very good link that you make there, Maxi, between the two brothers, because honestly, I don't know how much Reese can put up with with Heath. There might be a little bit of banter there. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, they are two hard nuts. And having him at your club, he's definitely going to be quite vocal wherever he goes. And and if that's North Melbourne, who knows? He might be playing Ben Brown's role. He might have a different (laughs) change of role. Well, I remember he kicked two goals against us. We seem to make all these players who haven't kicked a goal in like five years suddenly kick a goal against Essendon. It's remarkable. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Now, gents, we've obviously had a week off. What are your opinions on the bye week? It has been a necessity, obviously, for a lot of teams considering they have had a condensed fixture and they've had to play a lot of games in a very, very small period of time. But do you think it saps the momentum of dominant teams going into a big final series? Should we keep it? Or should we give it the sack? I've been pretty hard on it. I didn't mind having this week off. Maybe it's just because this year's probably been too hectic. <laughs> There's been too much football in a short amount of time where this year I've sort of appreciated it a little bit more than other years. From a competition standpoint, I still stand by that. I prefer the war of attrition, kind of keep going. The best team throughout the entire season should just keep going. You shouldn't get weeks off. But at the same time, from a spectator point of view, especially this year, I don't mind having the break. It rolls around quicker than you expect as well. Still, if in a regular season, I'd prefer not to have it, but I don't have it as much as I probably did in the last few years. Anyway, Fryzy, what do you reckon of the week off? Yeah, boys, I'm probably a bit in a similar boat here. I think I've lessened the stance on it for sure. I still question overall the, the need for it, but look, this year very much with the jam-packed schedule we've had, it's almost nice to breathe. But look, having said that, we're already behind the eight ball in terms of a normal season timeline in that the grand final should have been last Saturday. So it does make you wonder why we need to bother with another week off. But perhaps for the players, I can imagine they're probably appreciating the few extra days rest. What it does tell me though is that as we probably already know, I think the week off in between is here to stay. I think whenever you see Gillian McLaughlin asked about it, he seems to be the biggest fan of it. So, I mean, if he's the one in charge, it's hard to see it changing, but what do you think about it, sir? Do you like it? Well, I was going to say, gentlemen, obviously a lot of people have been speaking about teams getting their star players back to their peak fitness for the final series, but What about the fans getting back to their optimal prime, gentlemen? We've had time to rest our voices so we can scream, BALL! (laughs) But what's been massive for me in particular is the fact that I've been able to grow back my fingernails. So for all those fingernail biters out there, they can definitely relate to what I'm saying. So on that note, Maxie, I say keep it. On the basis of growing your fingernails out. (laughs) And also screaming at my television. So getting my voice back, getting my fingernails back, it's been a good week off for me. They're in good condition, your vocal cords. I I keep them very well lubricated and uh, a lot of pineapple juice, Maxi. Cold pineapple juice (laughs) is the way to go. Has other benefits, but I won't go into those. Yeah, we won't touch that one, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, we can all agree that the pre-finals buy is going to be here to stay for plenty more seasons to come. Let's get on to my finals footy memory. Footy memory. Uh Here we go. Guys, today I'm going to take you to the beautiful city of churches. Adelaide is a city bursting with culture, flavours, events and entertainment. You can indulge in award-winning restaurants in the heart of Adelaide. It isn't just the city of churches. It is a city full of museums, galleries, gardens, gourmet restaurants and lovers of the arts can indulge in opera, symphony, 
and a flourishing live music scene. People say Adelaide folk like to drink wine from the cask. <laughs> well, that's just simply not true. Come and taste the world's famous wine regions, only minutes from the city, and Adelaide is home to Australia's official best restaurants, hotel, wine, gin, and beaches. Adelaide is paradise on earth, but there's a catch. It's also home to some of the most feral footy supporters in Australia. Absolutely, the crows were robbed. Right in front of me. Right in front of me. <laughs> have you guys ever been to South Australia and have you had any experiences with the football over there? I've been to South Australia, what I reckon was about five hours. <laughs> and um, I don't remember the year. If I was guessing, maybe... 2008, 9, 10-ish, maybe around there. Essendon were playing Adelaide round one. And Adelaide were a pretty good team for a long while. They used to always just play finals year in, year out. It was at Amy Stadium. Yeah, we ended up winning by five goals. And the Adelaide supporters weren't too happy around us. I do remember getting back to the airport and all these Adelaide, well, what I assume to be Adelaide supporters, getting off planes, coming up, running up to us because I was in my Essendon jumper and they were asking, who won, who won, who won? And when I told them Essendon won, they were pretty filthy. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that they they don't like Victorian teams beating them over there, especially. And they don't like getting that bad news directly from an Essendon supporter either. So no. It was definitely the ultimate insult, Maxi. Yeah, that's for sure. And how about you, Fryzy? Have you had any experience up in the Barossa Valley trying different wines? Oh, could say that, boys. I know it is the capital of wine. I was fortunate enough just under 12 months ago to be there to witness a David Warner triple century. But in terms of footy memories, unfortunately, none. Although, if there is to be in the future, gents, I'll make sure I don't take the car over there. And if I do, I'll be covering up that, that registration plate. That is for sure. You might have to have the flippable number plates that James Bond used to have. You flip it itself. Australia, flip it back to Victoria. Uh, I think so. For the sake of my safety, gents, it might be the only way. Goodness me. Oh, that's right. Let me paint the scene for you. The year was 2012. And as I've mentioned on previous My Footy Memories before, September marked the time where my family and I would hit the road and travel somewhere in Australia. And 2012 was South Australia. Adelaide? Just to remind you, fellas, had a pretty good season in 2012. They won the 2012 pre-season NAB Cup against the West Coast Eagles at Amy Stadium. Tex Walker, remember him? Had Finished. the back then. <laughs> he had the big mullet back then, Maxie. He didn't mind a drink in the stands as well. <laughs> I don't reckon he ever got his form back to where it was without the mullet. So, Tex, if you're listening, grow your mullet again, I reckon. Not only that, but Tex, he finished in the top 10 leading goal kickers that season. Adelaide, they finished second. Yes, that's right, second on the ladder and only missed out on the minor premiership by percentage to Hawthorne. They lost their qualifying final at home. There's a little bit of a shock. After only dropping one game at Amy Stadium during the home and away season and winning a whopping 10 at the venue that season. But after cleaning up, Maxie's Fremantle Dockers in the semis. They were Melbourne bound to play the premiership favourites, Hawthorne, at the MCG. And gentlemen, it's fair to say on the night of the prelim final in Adelaide, the family and I were pretty nervous to be Victorians. And Dad, well, he took the car off the street, taped up the number plate, and <laughs> let me tell you, his paranoia was well and truly justified. Now, let's take a little bit of a delve into the history the reasons why Victorians and South Australians don't like each other. Here's the reason why. Here we go, here we go, can we crows? Here we go, can we crows? Here we go. We'll be there in the square, nose to nose. Revving hot on the siren. Go. So, first and foremost, in the state of origin football, the Adelaide's catch cry was kick a Vic. That is correct. The VFL was the major football competition in Australia, despite the SANFL, the Sandful, being created earlier, if you have a look at the history books. Now, not only that, the South Australians, they are absolutely spitting chips about the fact that the competition is Victorian-based. The South Australians are also mad that the Victorians snatched 
the Australian Formula One Grand Prix from Adelaide. Oh, serfs. Oh, dear. In a 60, yes, $60 million deal that was kept secret until the last minute in 1997. And, of course, it was stolen by the great Jeffrey Kennett. <laughs> Talk about a Kennett's curse on South Australia. And Victoria also stole the Garden State number plate slogan. So the South Australians had to settle for the festival state. So when my parents visited Adelaide after the Victorians stole the Grand Prix back in the 1990s, there were T-shirts. This is no joke, gentlemen. There were T-shirts in their souvenir stores that said, go home Victorians, kick a Vic and die Victorian scums. We live in the same country as them. <laughs> How bad is this? And they can hold a grudge to the South Australians. I reckon, I reckon they're still pretty dirty on it as well. Probably decades on now. Yeah, I feel like they're never getting over that no matter what happens. And this is one that really irritates me, fellas, is that they call the parmigiana, the famous chicken parmigiana, a... Parmi. Correctamondo. Correctamondo. What an absolute disgrace, gentlemen. Disgusting. It's almost as bad as putting the chips oh. under the farmer. Oh, there you go. There's there's two crimes right there about the exact same topic. <coughs> Unbelievable, but it happens. It does, and I think Queensland's the same. I think they call it a palmy up north as well, so... Don't know what's going on! <laughs> <laughs> so, as you guys touched on, this rivalry is real. And honestly, being in South Australia during this period of time in the finals was a very, very dangerous prospect. It was a lose-lose situation for my family. If Adelaide won, the whole town falls into celebration mode. If Adelaide lose, there is a full-blown riot and any Victorian that they can find will be hunted down. <laughs> in a very, very close encounter, Adelaide... They nearly made a bit of a comeback, but the Hawks won. And we drove into town for dinner with our number plates covered. <laughs> and, gents, the most incredible scenes. The town was completely empty. <laughs> People were walking around like their hearts had been ripped out of their chests. And we were just rubbing our hands together with these big grins on our faces. We walked into a franchise called Faster Pasta. I don't know if you've ever heard of Faster Pasta. They make a very, very good bag bog. <laughs> but we went in there because iconically and ironically, the franchise started in South Australia, was prominent in Victoria, then was stolen back by South Australia, only to be going into the digestive system of a Victorian. And that's what I call a full circle and full redemption. Winning. And that is my footy memory for this week, gentlemen. Very good, sir. There you go. There just seems like a lot of aggression over in that Adelaide CBD. And as you, as you mentioned, Serps, after, of course, that unbelievable premium final, I mean, they, they lost by less than a kick from memory. The Crows, just as Port Adelaide then did a couple of years later to Hawthorne as well. So whether it's just Victorians or especially uh, Hawthorne fans more recently, yeah, it doesn't sound like you're terribly safe over there. I think Tex Walker kicked a goal. He had like 40 seconds on the clock, but he took all of his time. He should have um, run back quicker. I think the last bounce they had maybe like 50 15 seconds or something. Talking about retirees, I think Ben Stratton saved the game with um, that tackle on Dangerfield because Dangerfield almost had him um, turned inside out, but he stuck that tackle. That was a really underrated prelim final. And I think by memory, guys, as well, that prelim final was actually played on a Saturday twilight. So that might have yeah, been one of the very first Saturday twilight finals. So was that Port Adelaide one. I think... Yeah. The Port Adelaide one was in 2014 from memory. Both within a kick as well. Two very underrated prelims there. Great for viewing, not great for the people of South Australia though, Serbs. My goodness. Very, very lucky to escape out of South Australia covering those number plates, as I mentioned. And that is my finals footy memory for this week. Bye, bye, bye. Finals footy memory. Let's get on to the final round of the AFL season. It is truly remarkable. A lot of gratitude must be directed towards the Queensland government and the Queensland residents for embracing the AFL footy like they have. Let's get to the considerable winners of the final round, round 18. And Maxie, let's start with you because we're going to keep it 
on the South Australian topic for now because it is, of course, their best performing side, which is Port Adelaide. They finished minor premiers and more importantly, they secured that home final, which they were always going to get going into this final round. But it's even more sweeter to beat the other Magpies. I'm pretty sure they love beating Collingwood. Um, sort of a bit wary going into the game. Do they really care about winning this game? Because they're either going to finish first or second. Whether Collingwood, they could have avoided the West Coast game. So I think just to touch on Collingwood, you'd think they were going to be up for it because they wanted to avoid what they're facing now, which is probably the worst position of any of the sides to go into this coming week of finals, to be in quarantine and playing West Coast in Perth in an elimination final. So you thought... Collingwood are going to be up for this game because they really want to avoid it. So I was a little bit worried about whether Port Adelaide would come in 100% focused. But you're right, mate. They, they don't like Collingwood at all. Considering the two Magpies teams and Collingwood won't let them wear their prison bars jumper. But um, it was a good performance, but it was a strange game. It came in flows. Port Adelaide would sort of get two or three goals in front and Collingwood would get their nose in front and then Port Adelaide would kick out again and Collingwood would get their nose in front and Port Adelaide would kick out again. So they ended up putting in what I thought was a pretty solid performance from the team that's been on top of the ladder the entire year. They avoided finishing second so they don't have to play really so I think that's probably the biggest thing that comes out of this for Port Adelaide. They're now playing Geelong, and even though Geelong absolutely pelted them in round 12, we'll touch on this in the preview, but um, Port Adelaide are favourites for this game, and I'm sort of feeling more confident in Port Adelaide at the moment, considering that they're playing Geelong, than I would have if they were playing Richmond, particularly because of Geelong's last two rounds where they got dealt with by Richmond, and also their performance against Sydney wasn't anything too flash. So, yeah, I think we need to give Port Adelaide credit. They're on top after every single round and they've won the minor premiership so it's an incredible effort I think we said at the start of the year it goes in late years so from 2000 to now 2020 it's happened a few times so great effort home and away season but now we're going to see what they're made of in finals and as you mentioned there Maxi to get that home ground advantage and not to be playing the Tigers that is a massive win for the power they also get Zach Butters back who will be coming mm off a suspension who will be a massive in. He was in the 40-man squad for the All-Australian and he's had a wonderful season this year as well. As far as the power are concerned, it was a big game that they just needed to win. Charlie Dixon looked a little bit more promising and how good has Travis Boak's season been? He obviously got a deserved spot in the All-Australian and he showed again during this game on Monday why he's such a great player for Port Adelaide. He's had an incredible two years in a row. It's sort of interesting because I remember a few years back, he sort of got pushed to a half-forward flank by Kenny Inkley. I think they wanted to get it maybe a bit more run and they sort of thought that maybe their midfield was a bit too one pace. You can tell he's a midfielder. He's not a half-forward flanker and he's pretty much playing as good as he's ever played. So he's an incredible player. I think the one worry for me is the Dixon factor and how well Geelong neutralised that. As well as Butters, I reckon he's a massive X factor. This season, especially coming back, he would have had three weeks off, so he'll be raring to go. The one question mark for me is whether or not they play West off. I don't think they will, but I think they'll end up just going with Marshall and Dixon. But whether or not they chuck in West off because he's so versatile. And this is his last season as well, so he might not get a chance to play another game. And Fryzy, you are a man who absolutely endorses diverse hairstyles that go a little above and beyond the usual cuts and colours. And Peter Laddams, he had a near purple hairstyle at the start of the season, but now he's taken a very safe and conservative approach. Do you think... Big Peter Laddams needs to change his hair colour before the final <laughs> series. Boys, I would be staggered if Ken Hinckley hasn't had a word or two to say about this. He seems like quite the no-fuss, straight-down-the-line operator as a coach and has been since day one. Look, I would have thought so. In actual fact, it's probably the biggest slip-up Port Adelaide have made all year because, <laughs> um, as we mentioned, they've ticked so many boxes and now we're about to find out a whole lot more about them over the next month. But, yeah, goodness is that a candidate for give it the sack or what? I think so, Fryzy. Absolutely disgraceful from Port Adelaide. Lucky not to get the minor premiership stripped off him due to that very main reason <laughs> there. No, very disappointing. And that's why Peter Laddams didn't make it into the All-Australian squad this year as well. <laughs> Let's get on to the other considerable winner for this round. And Fryzy, this is another team that will be playing finals. And they had to do it the hard way. They had to win their game against the Fremantle Dockers, the team that you tipped to upset the Western Bulldogs. But the Doggies did what they needed to do in Cairns and they showed why they could possibly be a bolter for this final series. And who knows? 
they could repeat their heroics from 2016. Frizy, why are the Western Bulldogs your considerable winner for this round? Very well said, Serps, and I have to agree, especially on one point there. They're a real potential dark horse in the final series coming into it. I suppose you could say that about a few other sides, but there's enough to like if it can all go right. As you said, 2016, it happened when none of us had really expected it. So yeah, look, this was a, this was a much-needed win. Um, five goals in the end to not only keep their own dreams alive, but to shatter those of Melbourne fans. It was a pretty sort of nerve contest for them though you know I think they looked in control for most of it the lead at three quarter time at just 15 points but look they were good enough to kick away with the last four goals and that was more or less the difference so big relief the only other I suppose major point to come out was that of um, Aaron Norton after that huge head clash in the end but as we've seen sort of during the week he looks uh, he still looks right to go considering albeit with the added head protection he like Caleb Daniel will be running out with the concussion helmet Frizy. I think so. From what I've seen during the week, it looks like that is the way to go following what's happened and he'll be right to take his place. Frizy, we just spoke about Peter Laddams and hairstyles. Gee whiz, this is almost violating some codes here. That big, luscious mullet's not going to be shown. Oh, I know. That's a real violation, isn't it? Hey, we might have got a lot of things wrong this season, but can we at least get the hairstyles right? Come on. We're all about safety here on In The Ballpark. We just hope that at least... We see a little blonde ponytail out the back there, fingers crossed. <laughs> Let's get to the Mammoth Losers for the final round of the AFL home and away season. <laughs> Maxi, let's begin with you, with a team that were very promising at the start of the season. They had a potential rising star in their ranks who is going to be one of the best players in the competition, we suspect, in future seasons. But like... Many seasons gone by. The Gold Coast Suns, Maxi, have faded. Yeah, I just think it was a disappointing way to finish their last game of the season. I think they've definitely taken steps forward this year, regardless of all the results. I think you can see that they're an improving side. But I just think going into a preseason, you want to dish up something you can be proud about in your last game, especially it's important to finish your last game off well, regardless of whether you win or not. They were playing Hawthorne, who... You said pre-show, so they played against Hawthorne late last year in Ruffy's last game, and Ruffy kicked six or seven, had a ball, and you, you knew Hawthorne were going to do everything to get up the Stratton and Pure Blow, pretty much ran right in the end. So I just think it was a really disappointing last game, considering I do think they've taken steps forward. Having said that, they were down six goals at quarter time, and regardless of how much they've stepped forward, at the end of the day, they've won one of their last 10 games. So just for too long, the Gold Coast have had a good start of the year and just completely faded out towards the end of the year. So to me, whether that's fitness, whether that's just them being a young team, Stu is still a relatively young coach, regardless of where they finish, they need to be a more consistent side across the year. They can't just win games in the first three to five weeks and then give nothing in the last half of the year. Yeah, I don't want to be too harsh on them. I just thought it was a really disappointing way to finish. I still think there's so many positives to come out of this year when you look at the young players that were coming through. Noah Anderson finished second in the Rising Star and Matt Rouse, he'll be allowed to compete next year for the Rising Star. So you'd think he's probably odds-on favourite at the moment. Who knows if the pick one this year will be as good as Matt Rouse, but you'd have to say he's odds-on favourite at the moment. Yeah, just considering that especially the, the, the entire competition was based in Queensland for the back half of this year to win one of their last 10 games and a draw against our Bombers, I think is a disappointing way to finish the season for the Suns. But as I said, there's still a lot of positives to come out of this year. Absolutely there, are, Maxi. And as you touched on Matty Rao, you can see his real commitment to the club. Did you like the look of him putting on a headset and almost being an assistant coach to Stewie Jew. Is this a good sign going forward, and particularly with his commitment to that club? I love that. I don't know why people are criticising him. There's a young bloke trying to help out his team. I know he's only 18, but you'd think, considering how he obviously has a good knowledge of the game, that he's probably, at the end of his career, it looks like he's going to be have the tactical knowledge to be an assistant coach or even a coach. And we're talking probably 15 years down the track, so <laughs> why not get him started earlier? Exactly right. Fryzy, you like the look of it? I do. But look, just on what you mentioned there, Maxi, it does concern me a little bit from the fitness point of view. I know it's, I suppose, a one-off season that we won't see again, but I just wonder how many teams, even finalists perhaps, were feeling the pinch in the second half of the season because of that 
um, jam-packed sort of structure that we've had to it. A little bit concerning. I know they are a young side, but you've got to think as well, there's, there's sort of a bit of a trade-off here. I mean, you've probably got more games in a shorter time frame condensed, but you've also only got 17 rounds when you'd normally have the 22. So they made a pretty, I'll be honest, a pretty average sort of Hawthorne side this year look very, very dominant in that last round. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you as you say, it's 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 always nice to finish the season strong. So I've got a question for you. What do you think of the leaked footage of Big Stewie do? <laughs> hey, Maxie, when nature calls, you just got to go. And clearly, Stewie Jew was in a situation where it was either hydration, release <laughs> the tank, or perish. So, yes, he's just got to be a little bit more aware of who may have their phones open. <laughs> it was like from years ago as well, which is a bit weird. Let's be honest, everyone's done it. Why are we making a big deal of this? I've got to say, Frizy, we spoke about this a couple of weeks earlier in the introductions and we mentioned about you putting extra goal line technology cameras in certain places to catch players and possibly coaches red-handed. Frizy, is this your footage? At this point, (laughs) gents, I'd like to make a no-comment interview, so thank you very much for your time. I'm sure I'll be due to front the AFL Commission very soon as a result of this deceptive conduct. (laughs) Let's get on to the other mammoth loser of the final round of the home and away season. And it is a side that made it through the whole campaign and got to the last day in the AFL calendar last year. But they did not make the finals this season. It's the first time they've missed out on finals in a long period of time. And there are multitudes of question marks for this club. Frizy, the greater Western Sydney Giants, what a fall from grace this is. But it's got to be said, all of us on In the Ballpark, we predicted that they wouldn't make the finals. Why is this the case? Yeah, we sure did. And it's the first time they have uh, missed since 2015. Goodness me. Talk about finishing a season off strongly or poorly and the impact that can have. My goodness. A three-goal performance to finish your season. St Kilda, as electrifying as they've looked at times this season and where they're possibly heading, we know that. But um, they just were completely run over the top by the Saints. And and look, I think the other concerning thing, boys, is that uh, finals were still on the page, even just slightly for the Giants heading into it. So to serve that up on the Friday night was pretty underwhelming, you must say. They did not kick a goal in the second half. I don't know, had they thrown the towel in by that stage? I mean, the match was alive at halftime. I know St Kilda were probably on top, but only by nine points. So look, there were just far too many after that stage that couldn't contribute. We saw some great individual efforts from the returning Cornelio back in the side and Lockie Whitfield, but gee, not even that was enough to give them the necessary spark. As we mentioned last week, very baffling to drop your captain second last round of the home and away season, especially when they had chances to do so earlier in the season. And considering, I think you touched on it, Maxi, very similar statistics to the likes of a Jacob Hopper, who also was underperforming, and you go and choose your captain and make a statement in a historical move that really backfired for them. So lots of question marks for GWS, and they lose Zach Williams, yet another quality player to a big Victorian club. Yeah, look, that seems like the next one to go, guys. Look, I don't think I'd probably consider him the potential A-grader I might have a season or two ago, but that's a huge loss regardless. And we spoke about Heath Shaw. There's already a fair bit of quality and uh, drive coming out of that back line. So they're going to need to um, to find some pretty ready-made replacements there. No reason why they can't get back next year and beyond. But yeah, you'd, all things considered, you'd have to look at this as a pretty clear fail for, for 2020. Just a lot of question marks. I mean, they've already lost Aiden Core and Zach Williams. I think Jeremy Cameron will stay, but he hasn't signed yet. So there's still a question mark there. And also a few, I think they were all first round draft picks a few years ago. It seems to be a bit of interest in Jai Caldwell, Jackson Haley and Xavier O'Halloran. So just when we talk about that endless cycle of the Giants getting first round picks and two years later, trading him out for third-round picks. It seems like that could happen again. They seem to get all these first-round picks and two years later they're out the door and they've lost them value and they've turned into third-round picks. So this type of year wasn't going to work for some teams and GWS are probably the main team when I'm talking about. Massive fail of the year and it was really, really disappointing to see that they're fighting for a final spot and that's what they dished up. So 
no good. And as you mentioned before, it was always going to be a tough year. They showed so much in round one against Geelong and since then haven't really shown much at all. Very inconsistent. Yeah, we've heard in the last few days, big Percy's out of Melbourne. He has to go to the Giants. Big call there from you, but I agree, Maxie. They need a young-ish Ruckman who can just shoulder the load and yeah. give them a lot more spark because they have so much talent in that midfield. They deserve to have first crack. So intriguing off-season for the GWS Giants, but definitely a big failure this season. Well, that is our considerable winners and mammoth losers <laughs> for the home and away season. And I suspect they'll be a lot bigger as the stakes will get higher in the final series. Let's get to one of our favourite segments on the show. It is Bring It Back, Give It The Sack. Have a crack. My back and my crack. Bring it back this week. And I want to bring back the guy at the footy who yells, Ball! (laughs) There's one guy without fail at every single footy match that I have been to. And so far, I have not cited this one person in the crowd who yells at the top of their lungs, (laughs) we need this person, whoever it may be. We are calling for you here on In The Ballpark. This is a call to action, a call to arms. We will fly you into the hub. We will get you to the games. And all you got to do at the most inconvenient times is yell, ball, surely. What else? I mean, is there anything else? I... Don't we don't we miss that, guys? I mean, it's it's not the same at the TV. The Adelaide-based games we've seen a few of them, <laughs> but yeah, yes. you, you can oh, guarantee yes. that the Port Adelaide crowd will be young at the top of their lungs this week. And we're looking forward to having that back, and probably the Western Australian crowd as well will get behind the ball. But we definitely need it in Queensland. So for all you Queensland fans who have never been to an AFL game before, and the finals is your first, get your head around the yelling of the ball because it's one of the most integral parts of our game. It adds so much atmosphere and, to be honest, a lot of confusion for people who haven't (laughs) been to the AFL before. So definitely bring that back. The other bring it back, gentlemen, is the farewell games. Now, over the weekend, we saw the farewelling of two absolute premiership legends from the Hawthorne Football Club, Ben Stratton and Paul Puwapolo. We didn't see a high-flying mark from Paul, but we did see a nice little goal there. And we got to see a goal from Ben Stratton as well, who is not a known goal kicker. So it was a very, very good finishing touch to their careers. But what about Bal Chambers? (laughs) One of our great servants of the Essendon Football Club did not get a farewell game. Players who play well enough throughout their careers deserve farewell games. Gentlemen, what about Big Belcho here? Pretty inconsiderate, wouldn't you say, guys? I mean, it's not as though the season was still alive or there was anything left to achieve. I mean, why not? you got a guy that had well over a decade. I'm 36, I think. Was it? There, there we go. The stats that man man's has back. delivered. The stat man's back. The stat man never left, I hope to say there. Also was one that was suspended, you know, pretty cooked at the end, but a good servant. Yeah, the farewell games just don't seem to be a thing anymore. Yeah, talk about a club who does it right and a club who does it wrong. I think it says a fair bit about two clubs with very different cultures which is disappointing to say. You look at the way Hawthorne exit two premiership plays, absolute champions, and then Essendon has the opportunity to exit one of the blokes who's been through pretty much football hell, hasn't won a final and got suspended because of the club's wrongdoing. I remember back in, what I think it was 2016, but Big Balcho was one of the first to sign up of the returning Bombers. And I think his signing sort of sparked a few of the other blokes who were sort of 50-50. I remember Kyle Hooker had... A big, very big offer from Fremantle, and I think there are a couple of clubs who are into Michael Hurley. And once Bell Chambers signed up, he was one of the big first dominoes to fall. So I just thought it was really poor. I don't know whether it was Ben Rutten sort of trying to be ruthless, but you know, considering Essendon's history, considering all that this bloke's been through, and your season's over and you don't give him a farewell game, I thought it was pretty poor. And from everything we've heard, a few of the senior Essendon players weren't too happy about it. 
either. And those two you mentioned there as well, those two big dominoes to fall being Hurley and Hooker, seems like they're pretty uncomfortable at the moment with that decision. And for two absolute strong leaders and very, very passionate players for the club to be feeling unsure about their futures at the club says a lot about how bad this decision was. So we need farewell games in our games. It speaks a lot to the culture as you both touched on. And this was a bad, bad look for the Essendon Football Club, unfortunately. Give it the sack. We have had enough of midfielders drifting into the forward line and stealing spots of worthy forwards in this season in the All-Australian squad. Let's talk about the numbers purely here because Dustin Martin, as we know, is a prolific footballer and especially during the final series. But this season alone, 46% he spent as a forward. Dangerfield only spent 30% of his time as a forward in 2020. And Marcus Bontempelli spent a miserly 14% as a forward this season. We know he kicked a match-winning goal playing as a half-forward, but still, these three players are not true forwards. But let's have a look at Dan Butler, who's had an incredible season, gentlemen. He doesn't make it into the final All-Australian team. And what about some of the other positions as well? Jack McRae and Cam Guffrey have had very good seasons, but they were listed on a wing. But McRae has only played 4% of his game time on a wing, and Guffrey hasn't been much better either with 17% during the home and away season. So, gents, let's give these positions a sack because if you're a good player, you deserve to be in the All-Australian side, but you should be fighting for a position with a player who also plays in that position. What are our thoughts on the All-Australian squad, gentlemen? No, I agree with pretty much everything you said, sir. A big point of this is the criteria of what the selectors go for, and they sort of go with this is the best team possible to play aside from Mars or whoever I think mean, you've you've just got to pick the best player in each position because otherwise you'd just be you'd be picking Fife, Cripps and everyone like that so it was disappointing to see I think they had three wingers in the squad things McCluggage Menegola and Gaff yeah to pick three wingers and not to pick any of them yeah especially as, uh, as the half forwards as well Dangerfield on a half forward flank doesn't make much sense to me because when he goes forward he doesn't play as a half forward he plays as a full forward. So, me and Dusty's kicked less than a goal a game this season. So, I think Dan Butler was very stiff. To be fair to Max Gorn, I don't think this was his best year. I think we could have gone with just Nat Nui because I think he was by far and away the best. Ruckman and I think Dan Butler and Sam Menegal are probably the most stiff. Oh, definitely some unlucky names there. And every year there's perhaps one or two names that you think, I almost wonder if they're penciled in in March or April, just <laughs> as it turns out. But, um, Look, I think what we've got to ask is, yeah, is this just a list essentially of the best 22 of the season or are we putting together a side to compete in a hypothetical game? Because that would then probably dictate some selection changes. Just on that, don't you reckon if they just picked the best midfielders just in the midfield positions, don't you think like winning an All-Australian spot then becomes sort of more lucrative because you are picked of the best like six midfielders? rather than the best eight. 100%. Absolutely yep. agree. Like, so it would, it would mean more. Up. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think it would make it that little bit more prestigious. At least that way we would know, well, there's your best six midfielders, for instance, your best one Ruckman, and you go from there. And it sort of just removes any, any doubt, which I think there's still a lot of. Let's get to have a crack. And gentlemen, I... Cannot believe I didn't come up with this have a crack earlier in the year. But around finals time, we are reminded about the history of the finals and especially the grand final. And this rule, I am very, very confident, will get pushed forward in the future. So my have a crack for this week is the grand final away Guernsey rule. Yeah, now, the right. AFL clash jumper policy, <laughs> or lack thereof, and I love the passion, Maxi, that has continued to confuse and throw up inconsistencies and double standards throughout the years has definitely annoyed me. Now, to give some recent examples, in the 2010 and 13 grand finals alone, lower-ranked sides, being St Kilda and Fremantle, wore their mainly white clash jumpers against Collingwood and Hawthorne, respectively. It was a terrible look. Imagine... One of those sides 
winning their first ever AFL premiership or a team winning their first premiership in 45 years being St Kilda, celebrating on the podium with their white jumpers. What a terrible look, especially for the history books when we look back in time and go, wait a minute, is that what that team stands for? The white jumper? But then in 2015, a similar scenario happened where the Hawks wore their traditional brown and gold stripes in the grand final, forcing West Coast into their away jumpers. So if we go on that above logic, it doesn't make sense because West Coast had to wear their away jumpers even though the Eagles had finished higher than Hawthorne. The Hawks had worn their clash jumper only three weeks earlier in a qualifying final against West Coast. Yes, you can argue this happens regularly in international sport, in the NFL and in international soccer leagues. But this is the AFL gentleman we're talking about. And I sternly believe it is not a good look. The Fremantle home Guernsey has no clash with the Hawthorne home Guernsey. The St Kilda and Collingwood one's a little bit different. But come on, AFL. You cannot allow this to happen. Gents, what are our thoughts? I'm with you, sir. I hate seeing white Guernseys on grand final day. I remember I was at your place, sir, on grand final day, and I was devastated when I saw the Giants coming out of the race in that white Guernsey. And can someone explain to me what changed in the two jumpers from 2017 when they played the prelim final, where the Giants wore white shorts and their traditional home jumper? Like, what changed between two years? There's, there's no clash between the Giants and Richmond. How is there a clash between Fremantle and Cawthorne? And the one I will say is 2015, West Coast actually changed their jumper. So um, they used to have that navy blue, white and yellow with the eagle across it, which they got rid of that jumper, which they should have got, gotten rid of that jumper. And I'm glad that they wore their, their royal blue and wings Guernsey, which is now their own Guernsey. So I don't know why they ever even changed their Guernsey from that, but. I hate seeing white Guernseys on grand final day. It doesn't look good. And that's a very, very good point you touch on there as well, Maxie. The most recent example was last year with the GWS Giants. It was over as soon as they wore that jumper. If I was GWS and the AFL said, you've got to wear that white Guernsey, I would say, stuff you. We're wearing our own Guernsey. I don't care what you're saying. There's no clash. We'll cop the fine, but we're not wearing that white Guernsey on grand final day. I agree. It is an absolutely shocking look. And as you mentioned, it's just not justified. Get rid of it. Get rid of it yesterday. I tell you, just no need for it. These wishy-washy rules in regards to clash jumpers are bad enough as it is. And to really make the spectacle of a big final, especially a grand final, goodness me, um, for... As you say, Maxie, what was the difference in the game a couple of years ago? And for most of these these teams that have been around forever, the clashes haven't been a problem for years and years gone by. Goodness me. Don't, don't ruin the moment of the spectacle. Come on. And, gents, I'm trying to make some sense of it. Quite possibly, before the grand final starts, they've already decided who the potential favourite or winner is going to be of the grand final. And maybe they haven't been able to afford extra confetti, so they just have white confetti for the team that has to wear the white Guernsey. <laughs> that hadn't passed my mind, mate. Maybe you're on something. Look, you never know. Un- unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> Keep the receipt. <laughs> Fully refundable, I am sure. Everyone listening, this is the moment we have been waiting for. It is week one of the AFL finals for 2020. Let's get to the first game of the final series. And it is on Thursday, October the 1st. It is the qualifying final. Port Adelaide hosts the Geelong Cats 740 at Adelaide Oval. And gents, what excites you most about this clash and more importantly, who are you tipping in this first final? First of all, I'm really excited to see how Port Adelaide respond tactically. I think it's going to be a really interesting tactical game considering um, how pretty much Geelong blew apart Port Adelaide in round 12. I think they won by 60-odd points. I think it was, I'll have to check, but it might have been one of the biggest margins um, for the entire season. So we've said all year the worry on Port Adelaide is they don't have a massive key defender who's going to be able to 
wrestle with the big monster key forwards, but I'm tipping Tom Hawkins isn't going to be at one-on-one by himself and an opponent too many occasions. Point Adelaide will have defenders peeling off their opponents the moment they see that their Geelong forward isn't in an attacking position. So the main point to me is what did Geelong do with Hawkins one-on-one and do they send Dangerfield into the midfield? Or if Port Adelaide are going too heavy on um, Hawkins and he can't get any one-on-one space, does Dangerfield then have to play pretty much out of the square and they'll send Hawkins up the ground? So really interesting tactical battle. In terms of who I'm tipping, if you asked me a week ago, I would have said Geelong for sure. But I don't know why. I've just got a bit more confidence in Port Adelaide over the last week. Whether or not that's they've got a bit of publicity with the minor premiership and they put in a pretty good performance against Collingwood, as I said, and also Geelong, two pretty poor performances in a row against Sydney and Richmond. I'll go with Port Adelaide just because they're they're finished on top. They're at home. They're going to be playing in front of twenty-five to 30,000 fans, I think. Yeah, I'm not confident. I think Geelong have got way more finals experience. But if you listen to Geelong supporters, they've coughed up four of their last qualifying finals. And the one they did win was that game against Isaac Smith where he missed after the sign. So I'm going with Port Adelaide, but I'm not that confident. And Maxi, you are our stat man. Have you seen the stat recently of Geelong's first quarters against opposition in finals? I haven't seen the stat, but I can tell you what, they're no good. (laughs) A few of them come to mind, especially that one against Sydney where I think Geelong were favourite to win and Sydney blew them out of the park. I think it was 2016. That's the one that sticks out to me. Correct, Maxie. The stat was something like they've conceded 180 points in their finals since 2011, and I think they've only scored an accumulative 80 or 90 themselves. So it's a near 100 points difference between what they're scoring and what they've conceded. So it's a very ugly statistic. Yeah, absolutely. And they're two sides that I'm very sceptical about coming up to finals just in how they stack up as opposed to home and away. I know we've sort of talked about that issue with the Cats in recent seasons. I'm going to take Port Adelaide just, very just. I'm going to tip Port Adelaide in this one, but equally, I think Geelong are definitely up to the task. And if they can really lock them down and score quickly early, then I think they're going to really silence the crowd and could have a big effect. But equally, if it's like that Richmond game, oh, watch out, Geelong. You're going to be out voice definitely mm. in that crowd, no question. <laughs> Let's get on to Friday night footy. And under the Gabba lights, it is the Brisbane Lions up against Richmond. 7.50 at the Gabba. And this is a repeat of last year's qualifying final. But I'm having a feeling that with this week off, there should not be any more excuses for the Brisbane Lions. They know how to play against Richmond. They haven't been able to execute it themselves, but they've had a lot of time to research their opponents. And if I was the Brisbane Lions and if I was Chris Fagan, there would be no excuses this week. Practice your goal kicking and practice your intensity around the ball. Gents, who are we tipping for this one and what are we excited about for this clash? I'm tipping Richmond. I just think they're too good. Brisbane, they actually performed pretty well in that first half last year. So I think they'll perform well, but I mean, Richmond haven't lost at the Gabba for something like 15 years or something. And they haven't lost to Brisbane in a long time as well. I think they've got the wood over them. I just think they're too good. I know Tom Lynch isn't playing, but... You'd think Dustin Martin will spend probably a bit more time forward considering Dion Prestia is also going to play. Yeah, I just think Richmond are too good. I think just knowing how to get it done in these situations, Brisbane were far better for the experience last year. Although, as we know, they, they didn't in fact win a final last year despite making the top four. I think it'll be close again. There is the home factor with the Lions, but it didn't seem to trouble Richmond in the corresponding game last year. Yeah, I think they just look ripe to go these last couple of weeks heading into it. Fellas, I am going to go in a complete curveball decision in this game. I am going to tip Brisbane. Oh, sir. Because I think they can do it. As I've said throughout the week, They've been taunting each other at training, trying to get mentally right for this game. There are no more excuses. They have a very good list to choose from with their availability, and they're at home. This is the best opportunity in their history to win a flag at home. I can almost guarantee you they'll never get this kind of opportunity again. It's all or nothing for the Brisbane Lions. They have to beat Richmond. They have to make a statement. And as Lee Matthews said famously many years ago about the 2001 Bombers, if they bleed, you can kill them. And I believe if Brisbane expose a weakness with Richmond, 
They are every chance of beating him, and they give hope to the rest of the competition that Richmond can be beaten in finals. I'm going to put it all on the line for Brisbane. No excuses, Brisbane. You're winning this game. Saturday, October the 3rd, the second elimination final. It is St Kilda up against the Western Bulldogs. There was a little bit of chatter that this game could possibly be at Adelaide Oval, but we're glad to see it being played at the Gabba. Twilight fixture, this one. And the Saints, while they won their last game at the Gabba, and the Western Bulldogs enter this game in a bit of form as well. These two teams are frenetic when they're at their absolute best. Who are we tipping and what are we most excited about? It's the two prelim replays from 2009-2010. Right, man. I remember those prelim finals. It seemed like these two teams used to play finals against each other every year for like a five-year run. It's good to see them back, but I'm really interested in the midfield battle because I think St Kilda with Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall are going to dominate the ruck position, especially if you give Paddy Ryder free reign, he can run right. Saying that, though, Bulldogs probably got one of the best three midfields in the comp. Bond, Pally, McRae, Liver, Dunkley, Bailey Smith, Hunter. <laughs> the list goes on and on. Even Lipinski and a few others that I'm probably forgetting. So you think St Kilda are going to have the ruck dominance unless you get an out-of-the-box performance from Tim English? Well, the Bulldogs are going to dominate good midfield without when it comes to the ball on the ground. I'm not saying St Kilda have a bad midfield because they've they got Jack Steele. He's one of the best midfielders in the comp. I think the midfield battle is what I'm most interested in, especially where the Bulldogs get the goals from. This is the hardest one to tip, in my opinion. I'm going to go with the Bulldogs just because I think they've got a little bit more finals experience from 2016. This is one that I'm not confident in, but my gut says Bulldogs. If I was given the option to only watch one finals match this weekend, I almost think this would be it. Probably a really close one as well and difficult to tip. I Just on what we've seen from the Saints this year, I'm actually going to go for them just. I would also say I feel like they, they probably deserve to progress a little more, but look, that means nothing once that game starts. It's a twilight Final gents, as we've talked about those quite often. There's been a few of those in recent times, and we do like the look of them, that is for sure. There's a real buzz around the ground. And if Zach Jones plays this game, which we suspect he will, he will be a massive in for the Saints. He's running, dashing clearances that he's had this season have been massive for the Saints. So I'm going to be tipping the Saints here. Let's get to the final game of this first week of the finals. And it is going to be West Coast up against Collingwood, the second qualifying final replay of 2018. And of course, the very famous 2018 grand final replay. This will be getting played at 8.10 Australian Eastern Standard Time at Optus Stadium. Gents, is this as one-sided as we think? Or do the Collingwood Football Club have a chance against the West Coast Eagles, against all odds? This is the second game that I'm pretty confident in tipping West Coast. Having said that, Collingwood always play well in finals. I can't remember them getting blown out of the water ever. They're just a competitive club that whether they win or lose, they give a good count of themselves. So I'm pretty confident in tipping West Coast. I just don't think Collingwood have got much scoring power. I think the biggest worries for Collingwood are metres gained and scoring. I think they're pretty low in the competition. I think West Coast will win this game. But I think it'll be a bit closer than most people are giving them credit for. There was that match during the season that you mentioned that was almost the trigger for a really poor month or so for Collingwood that followed. Yeah, look, I just don't know if there are enough bullets in the gun to get this done, particularly over at Optus. But they will compete, as Maxie said. And um, I know they got blown away mid-season. But yeah, look, you, you would be pretty shocked to see that happen again. Don't even know if West Coast can go much further and go all the way, but... Funny things like this can happen, so it equally wouldn't surprise me the other way. But no, definitely tipping West Coast with a fair bit of comfort. And Dugowie had an incredible game in Western Australia last time he played. He absolutely tore it up against Geelong when they played there earlier this season. So I'm expecting a little bit from Jordan Dugowie. And just quickly on the West Coast Eagles, gentlemen, this is the second season in a row that they finished outside of the top four. So they certainly don't make it easy for themselves, considering they'll have to play more games in the finals, obviously, with this and last year being elimination finals. So they haven't made it easy for themselves the last two seasons. Yeah, I think the West Coast aim every year for top two, because I think that top two spot is more important to West Coast than it is for most teams. So... Yeah, I think for West Coast, the key to win a premiership is to finish top two, which I haven't done the last few years. Always really scintillating clashes against these two sides. Yes, there's been a couple of blowouts here and there, but when they're close, 
Gee, they are absolute spectacles. It's going to be an incredible week one of the finals, gentlemen. It's been a great analysis from you both, and it's been another terrific show of In the Ballpark. Thank you for your company, and can't wait to finally watch the finals in late September. That's right. Get it on. It's still September as we sit here, boys. So I hope you're looking forward to it. And just before we let you go, we just want to send our condolences to the Jones family. Dean Jones, one of the greats of Australian cricket, was an incredible one-day international player, was one of the most gutsy test players you'll see for Australia. Tragically passed away at the age of 59 this week. Lots of love for him in the cricketing world. So we're definitely going to miss Jones around the traps that's for sure gentlemen well said sir yeah very nice sir and on that note thank you again for joining us on in the ballpark we'll see you next week for another massive show we will dissect all the big week one final results thank you very much Oh, mosquitoes just gone past my laptop screen, sir. So, can you get up your YouTube? Um, yeah, yeah, play, play, play the ultrasonic That's <laughs> <laughs> a good see, time. See, I bet the mosquito is mistake. Like, whenever it hears my voice, it can probably detect it on Maltese. <laughs> So it's probably attacking oh, for you sure. for no reason. It's probably attacking me on, on your screen. Well, I've got a bit of Maltese heritage as well, mate, so I think they're after me. I think you're the only safe one, Fryzy. <laughs> I think so. For the for the time being anyway, I'm not I'm not stepping outside, that's for sure.